Florida Medical Association. Helping physicians practice medicine. Welcome to the Medicine Curated Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stapleton, CEO of the FMA. Today, we're going to talk about the role of physicians as advocates in Washington, D.C. It's my pleasure to welcome our guests, Allison Anway and Erica Long of the Anway Long Group. Anway Long is a governmental relations firm with offices in Tallahassee and Washington, D.C. And Allison and Erica represent the FMA in Washington, D.C. Allison, tell us about your background and career prior to founding the Anway Long Group. Sure, and thanks for having us on today, Tim. Um, so I first cut my policy teeth while attending law school, um, where my favorite classes were international policy and healthcare policy. Um, after graduating and passing the bar, I took a few years off to travel the world um, before landing on Capitol Hill, uh, where I worked for five years as the healthcare legislative assistant for Senator Pat Roberts, who was on the two major committees of healthcare policy jurisdiction in the Senate. Um, and during that time, I was extremely fortunate to have a front row seat to the entirety of the consideration and passage of the Affordable Care Act, which I like to refer to as my free master's degree in healthcare policy. <laughs> after <laughs> yeah, I right. uh, left the Hill, <laughs> after I left the Hill, um, I led policy teams at a major health insurer and a global biopharmaceutical company with a brief stint in the Jeb Bush for President policy arm. Um, and then Erica and I opened our own shop two years ago um, this month, and we combined my policy background with her government relations expertise um, to offer a unique value proposition to our clients across the healthcare sector. Well, you know, um, uh, that's that's an uh, amazing background. And uh, now let's hear uh, from you, Erica, the other half of this uh, dynamic duo. Let's see if you can top that one. I don't know if I can top it because I like to call Allison my certified smart person, um, <laughs> but I will do my best. So like a lot of people in government affairs, I started my career working on Capitol Hill for a member of Congress from Florida, actually. And I have a pretty unique background um, in that I started out as a Democrat and then I switched over to become a Republican. So for over a decade, I worked in members' personal offices, as well as the Energy and Commerce Committee in the House of Representatives, and then the Senate Judiciary Committee over on the Senate side. After my time working in Congress, I worked for two different companies in different sectors of healthcare doing government affairs work. It's at one of these companies where I first began working with Allison. Allison and I had long been friends, but it wasn't until we worked together that we found out we made a pretty great team in identifying issues and tackling them to find solutions. So that's, you know, it's really, um, I wanted our listeners to hear about your backgrounds because clearly, uh, you know, both of you have extensive backgrounds, um, impressive backgrounds. Uh, you know, Erica, you've worked not only for individual members uh, in their offices, but, but also as committee staff, um, and working for Chairman Grassley, and both of you, um, I think you know one of the one of the things that's most impressive is that you've had important um, you had important um, jobs working in healthcare policy positions for United States senators. Um, so tell me a little bit about how influential uh, the staff can be in a congressional office, particular 
particularly as it relates to developments, uh, developing public policy decisions. Um, Erica, you know, why don't you share your thoughts? Because I know, you know we've talked about this a little bit, and, and I'd like you to uh, amplify uh, a little bit on that topic. Sure, I'd be happy to. Being a staffer on Capitol Hill is sincerely one of the greatest jobs you could ever have. Not only is it like a unique background, you get to be, you know, a small fish in a big pond. You get to see a ton of national actors on an everyday basis. During my last job on Capitol Hill, I had the pleasure of working for Chairman Grassley on the Senate Judiciary Committee. And if you've never met the chairman in person, I think most people assume Chairman Grassley is grumpy and mean. He can be very aggressive when, when you know, cross-witnessing someone at a, at a congressional hearing, but that actually can't be further from the truth. Um, he is the single most, I mean, the, the single most wonderful thing about Chairman Grassley is he truly believes in his staff and he gives his staff a lot of autonomy and freedom to craft policy ideas and find workable solutions. Generally speaking, when you're working for a member or a senator, they will give you direction on where they stand on a particular issue, but it is entirely up to the staff to shape and formulate that policy. In other words, staff are very influential and very valued by their members of Congress and senators who they work for. You know, so, you know, the reason I, I kind of wanted to go down this path is I wanted our physicians to understand, you know, how important it is to have, you know, good relationships with uh, the members staff because they, they do play a role, an important role you know, members of Congress are dealing with a multitude of issues on a daily basis. They're meeting with uh, people from all different uh, walks of life, all different industries. And so their staff is, you know, specialized. And when you're talking to someone uh, on a congressional staff that's their health care aide, uh, you can rest assured that, you know, that individual um, has been tasked with really um, shaping, helping shape uh, policy uh, in that office. So I wanted our, our our listeners to really understand how important it is. And and when you go to D.C. or if you happen to um, you know be meeting with a congressional office, don't be disappointed uh, if you're just meeting with the staff and you're not meeting with a member because oftentimes um, you know those meetings are are real important. You think that's that's true, um, Erica? Yeah, I definitely would agree with that. And I will say probably the single most um, issue that I ever had as a staffer and and now working on the other side for clients and bringing them to Capitol Hill is I always tell people do not be alarmed by the age of the staffers on Capitol Hill. Now, granted, Capitol Hill staffers are not um, made equal, right? And what I mean by that is there is a pecking order in congressional staff, but if you are working for a member of Congress and they are a member that serves on a committee of jurisdiction of your issue set. So for us, you know, the Energy and Commerce Committee and the Ways and Means Committee are very important in the on the House side. Likewise, on the Senate side, it's Senate Finance and Senate Help that have jurisdiction over all the healthcare issues on the Senate side. So if you're a healthcare staffer, particularly for a member that serves on, on one of those four committees, 
you know what you're talking about. And I know that the staff can look um, very young and they are young. And there's a lot of reasons why, you know, political staffers are, are only that young. And it has a lot to do with how much the jobs are paid and the work hours and so on and so forth. But, you know, those staffers are steeped so heavily in policy and they have such a tremendous amount of resources at their fingertips that most folks don't have. Um, so I would never under, I would, I would definitely never underestimate a, um, a Capitol Hill staffer. Sure. Thank you for that. So, you know, Allison, um, going back to your days uh, working as a staffer on Capitol Hill, can you um, tell us, uh, in your opinion, what are the best ways that, that constituents, and, and in this case, physicians, who are also constituents, um, how they can, you know, make a positive impact on the process? Yeah, so um, I think the most important thing that a constituent can do to make a positive impact um, is to be engaged and, you know, make your voice heard. Um, members of Congress and their staff are heavily influenced by the people that show up. Um, you know, the squeaky wheel really does get uh, the most attention. And most members of Congress um, and their staff are particularly interested in hearing from their home district constituents. Um, and that's especially true if you provide health care, um, pay taxes, or employ people in their districts. And that's something that most all FMA members can say. Um, the more that you visit Capitol Hill or your congresspersons in district events, which, you know, even you can still do that even with COVID today, virtually, there are still opportunities to do that. Um, but the more you build those relationships, build the relationships with the member themselves, build the relationships with the staff people, with the staff, um, the staffers of those members, the more likely it will be that they will prioritize our issues. Great. Well, well that, that's great advice. So, you know, basically show up, be seen. Um, and, you know, that, that's, that's uh, real important. So, you know, kind of taking that one step further, I'm sure there's examples of when, uh, an advocate uh, on a particular issue or a group um, uh, has made a negative impression. You know, we're talking here about, you know, how do we how do we positively impact the process? But Erica, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, some examples in your experience um, of when uh, an advocate or a group has made a, a negative impression on a member of Congress or congressional staff? Sure. So in general, like in life, do not lie. Lead with the truth. If you lie to people, you will eventually, people will eventually find out your credibility will be ruined and they will not want to help you. I always tell people that are looking to start in D.C. and get involved in politics and policy. You, the only thing you have in D.C. is your reputation. And if you start off by lying to people, uh, you're not starting off on a good foot. You know, lying, that's a that's a you know, obviously a strong word. And, and um, you know, there may be times where, um, you know, somebody maybe doesn't think they're lying, but they're, they might be stretching the truth a little bit, or they might be embellishing on a, on a situation. So why don't you kind of uh, give us an example of, of what you mean, you know, by that, if you can. Yeah. And it's a good, it's a good question. So I have two examples, and, and remember that a large portion of my background was in oversight, and so I investigated a lot of people and companies. So that's a little, so my opinion is probably a little skewed from Allison's, say, when she worked in the Senate. So 
An example for me would involve, you know, if we were actively investigating your company for something or an agency for something, we asked for documents and we were doing interviews and so on and so forth. The truth is always going to come out. If you're upfront with us about it, and so in, in this particular instance, you know, the company was not upfront with us about it. Their lawyers were trying to hide something. We ended up, we never had to subpoena them for any of their documents. They ended up giving us the documents. And like I said, the truth always comes out. And we had the documents and we went to them and said, well, we don't understand because in your written response to us, you painted a very different picture. But from what these documents say, you know, that it's telling a completely different story. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and they wouldn't back down. And they said, no, you guys are lying. And they they actually ended up um, going to the press and, and calling out our boss and calling him a liar in the press. And so that is something that I definitely wouldn't advise. Um, <laughs> and those, you know, members, member offices tend to have a very open door policy for the most part. If you're a good member and you want to hear from constituents and you want to get different points of view, you will always have an open door policy. But at that, and in that moment, we blackballed that company and that lawyer from ever coming into our office again, because you've, you've ruined the trust in the relationship. There was no longer trust. And so they were for, they, you know, to this day, I don't think that that they're allowed to um, come in and meet with the Senator anymore. So you, there are real consequences for being upright. Now, Something that probably like is more run of the mill is, you know, I worked for so long on Capitol Hill and people are very passionate about their issues. And, and, you know, we see this all the time when, when the FMA physicians come up and they talk about their practices and their patients and they get very emotional and rightly so. And to your point, do, you know, is skewing the truth a little bit. Um, is that considered a lie? And I would say, no, it's not, but you have to be honest. And I think a great example of that, Tim, is, you know, certainly in the surprise medical billing, right, where um, private equity got got um, included in that and was really, people were really upset when private equity came in and they were shining a light on that. Florida Medical Association never shied away from that. We always told them how involved we, we were. We told them what the statistics were in the state. And I think because we led with facts and truth, we never, that was never an issue for any of our Florida delegation members. And so, and I think, and I think a large part had to do, had to do with how upfront we were with them on that issue. Yeah, no, that's a great point. That's uh, you know, that's that's kind of you know what I wanted to to um, to get out is that you know at the end of the day, be upfront, be truthful. Um, you know, certainly, um, you know, it's okay to be passionate. Um, uh, and I think that it's certainly our members are passionate about their issues, but. Um, you know, don't don't stretch the truth and be upfront. You're you're gonna you're gonna get a lot further, um, you know, with your argument. And the last thing you want is to is to make an enemy out of a uh, a member of Congress or their staff because you haven't been upfront with them. So you know, thank you for for that, Erica. And and, and certainly, um, you know, 
I wouldn't want to be uh, on the receiving end of an investigation um, by you. That's for sure. That's <laughs> that would not be uh, that would not be fun. So um, I'm glad you're on our side, by the way. So, um, you know, the two of you now have been working with us at the FMA for a couple years. And uh, I'd like you to share a little bit. Um, and we'll start with uh, with you, Erica. Uh, share a little bit with our audience some of the things that you've done to help elevate uh, the presence of Florida physicians in DC. Um, you know, particularly our focus has been to uh, to focus on our Florida congressional delegation. So tell us a little bit about the progress that's been made uh, you know, over the last two years. Sure, I am so proud of the work that FMA has done over the last two years to elevate its presence. To me, one of the most critical steps we have taken to keep FMA front and center in our delegation's mind is to constantly reach out to them on issues of importance to us, making ourselves thought leaders and trusted sources of information for them. The more our delegation hears from us on issues that impact us, the more they will keep us in their minds as they craft legislation and then vote on that legislation. We have a lot of great Florida members in our delegation on both sides of the aisle and both chambers who are very influential on healthcare policy. And we are so proud to have helped FMA expand your relationships and influence with them. So thank you for all that you have um, partnered with us on fly-ins, generally giving your time to help our success. So I'll kind of, uh you know, put a, a bookend on that. You know, what, what you've done um, for us, Erica, being there in D.C. is is provide some continuity. So, you know, when our physicians do come up to D.C. for a fly-in or, or they uh, go visit um, their member of Congress back in the home district, you know, one of the things that you do is, is you follow up and you make sure that, uh, you know, the, that nothing's missed. And I think that that provides that continuity so that the next time um, we're going to visit that member. Um, you know, there's there's a frame of reference. There's a little history, and and that's been that's been real important. And uh, I think that's been a real positive. I would say that you know prior to uh, the last few years, we haven't had that that kind of uh, continuity, and so um, so that's been great. I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you a question, um, Allison. Uh, there's no question that that healthcare will continue to be at the forefront of you know federal policy over the next few years. No matter what the outcome of this next election is, whether uh, no matter who gets elected, um, it's pretty clear that that healthcare is going to be um, you know an important issue as it has been really for the for the last decade. Um, so, Allison, what do you see? as the top issues that physicians should be aware of, um, you know, going forward, issues that, that, that uh, Congress um, and the administration, whether it's the current administration or a new administration, what are the issues that, that uh, you think will be on the top of their minds that physicians need to know about? Well, first of all, you are absolutely correct um, that no matter who wins the elections this year, healthcare is going to remain a top issue. Um, according to the latest projections out of the Congressional Budget Office, um, the Medicare Trust Fund has been significantly impacted by COVID and is now projected to run dry in 2024, which is two years earlier than previously estimated. Um, so this is going to be a top issue, whoever is in the next 
um, administration and whoever controls uh, the Senate and the House. Um, so in addition to the impact uh, on Medicare from COVID, um, you know, we've seen basically a full year of just deficit spending um, to try to tackle and address and respond to the pandemic. Um, you know, we're not paying for anything. Um, we've spent billions and trillions of dollars. Um, so Congress has already, um, particularly Republicans in Congress, they have already uh, begun to return to a climate where pay-fors are needed um, in order to pay for any additional policy priorities. And so that's where we see some risk for things like surprise medical billing. Um, drug pricing is another big area where the Congressional Budget Office has already scored those policies as producing savings. Um, and so they could continue to be ripe for passage either in the lame duck this year after the election or next Congress. Um, and if Democrats do sweep, you can bet that policy proposals like a Medicare buy-in, um, a public option, and even Medicare for all will receive a lot of attention, um, especially if the economy continues to contract and the rates of uninsured Americans continues to rise. Um, so this sort of appetite for expanding government coverage might be tempered by the cost of these policies. Um, that, that's certainly gonna be uh, one limiting factor to them enacting big coverage expansions, um, but incremental changes that could have a big impact on the payer mix for physicians are still very possible. So, sure. um, you know, we are, definitely, we are definitely gonna stay vigilant and continue to represent uh, the FMA's priorities as, as, as well as we can, um, no matter who wins the election. Yeah, so clearly, um, you know, there's a lot at stake and there's going to continue to be a lot at stake uh, for physicians, uh, for patients, um, for the foreseeable future. So, you know, we've got to stay engaged and got to, you know, we need to stay involved. So, you know, we could probably talk for, you know, two hours. We could probably go into all of these issues and do a separate podcast on each one. Um, but, um, you know, I don't know that that people will listen for two hours. So we're going to we're going to try to keep this uh, short and sweet. And so so I've got a last question. This kind of ties it all together. You know, what's the best thing that an individual physician can do uh, to break through, you know, the noise and clutter in D.C. and really help get medicine's uh, message across? Um, and whichever I think, Erica, if you, you you probably can answer this one for us. Yeah, absolutely, Tim. So the number one thing you could do as an individual physician is to get to know your representative and senators. Attend their town hall meetings, invite them to see your practice firsthand, and if your politics align, attend a fundraiser. All politics are local. You are a voting constituent to your member of Congress and both senators. Take the time and show them what is in their own backyard. Lastly, if your schedules permit, attend one of the fly-ins that FMA organizes four times a year. Well, that was pre-COVID. Um, yeah. This gives you lots of face time with various Florida delegation members and their staff. But I can't express that enough. Get involved and go see them. Um, when they're back in their districts, they're more relaxed. Um, their ears are open better. They're not as rushed. They can take the time to meet with you. So definitely use that to your advantage. 
Well, that that's a great message, and um, you know, I want to thank uh, both of you, Allison and Erica, uh, with the Anway Long Group, uh, for spending some time with us today and sharing your perspectives on how physicians um, can make an impact uh, in D.C. Uh, there's no question that that uh, you know this was a really informative discussion. I learned a lot, and I'm sure that our listeners uh, were enlightened as well. So thank you, um, and uh, the FMA and the physicians are you know, very, very fortunate to have the two of you on our team. Thank you very much, and um, we will hear from everyone uh, uh, on our next podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, Tim.